I'm passing the mic to someone who told me Ben and J-Lo would never get back together. <gasps> I'm passing the mic to someone who made me watch Girls 5 Eva. You're welcome. I'm passing the mic to someone who told me reading Kaya would be fun. Oh, I'm passing the mic to someone who loves cereal. I'm passing the mic to someone who still thinks Ben Affleck is hot, even with his back tattoo. I'll drop that mic. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to American Girls, the podcast. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm still Allison. Allison, you know, we gather here today to talk about yet another, some might call it depressing book, but how are you before we get into that? You know, I'm doing great because I've come armed today with a lot of literature and while our main feature today is Kaya's Hero, I also have prepared a very special reading from the book of Courtney. Courtney Book Two. Chapter two. Book wow. Courtney. Well, you know, feel free to lay that scripture on us whenever you're ready. So it's been a pretty busy week. It was the thirty-fifth birthday of American Girl. And I just want to give credit very briefly to the marketing geniuses who embedded a plot line about the price of a <laughs> Molly doll into this Courtney book. Mary, may I begin my reading? Please, please do. Thank you. If you would like to follow along in your hymnal, I mean book, we are looking at the chapter of the present and the past in Courtney 1986, version 2. Courtney, 1986. I can't get that song out of my head. None of us can. You shouldn't. So her mom works. We get hit over the head with this. So mom is coming home from work. Courtney showed her the catalog and Molly McIntyre. Pleasant company, mom asked, glancing at the cover. I've never heard of it. Since when do you like dolls? You're more of a stuffed animal girl. I know, but I just like her, Courtney replied. Can I get her? It's a beautiful doll, no question. $75? That is way too expensive. How about for Christmas, Courtney went on. I wouldn't need any other presents, just this doll, please. We'll see. We'll see. Almost always turned into no. Wow. That's... It seems to me that maybe. Sometimes always means no. It's kind of like the opposite of the 80s ethos that you would see in a lot of the movies like Wall Street and everything else where it's like it's all about turning a maybe into a yes, like sales yeah. maneuvers. And, you know, I guess like that didn't happen. That's really sad. That's pretty bleak. Mary, I'm going to be honest, though. All of this has worked on me knowing full well that Courtney and her family <laughs> Do purchase the Molly McIntyre for $75. I dished out exactly double that amount this past week to get a fresh Molly. It works. Wow. And you also like kind of lied to yourself that it was for your very adorable niece. I did. We both know that that's not true. No. So this doll is for me. I think at some point (laughs) it may be a familial acquisition, but this doll is for me. For now. So but I'm going to be honest with you. So I'm not about a complete set for the sake of a complete set. However, my Molly, who is, you know, my beloved 25-year-old Molly, she's missing some stuff, right? 
you know, like right. all 25-year-olds, she's coming to grips with her age. And there's some things that I would just like her to have that I can't really get after market piece by piece. I don't have the time or the stamina. Right. So knowing that this fresh stuff is coming, it's all going to her. I think that's wise. Like, what are you... So wait, the accessories aren't fully out yet? No. So just kind of like the Molly that is from my childhood, like her outfit is not fresh. Her accoutrements are no longer fresh. I have wonderful glasses that were given to me by a listener. She'll keep wearing those because it's her active prescription after she visited the doll hospital. But in all seriousness, like she just doesn't look like she ought to at this age. That's like tough to hear. I hope she's not listening to this, but I mean, wow. She's a Patreon at the $3 level. Okay. That's, I appreciate that. Thank you, ma'am. Um, but I know like you kind of, I think many of our listeners along with you were really excited to kind of dip into like, God, Pleasant, she got us again. Like, I feel like this whole 35th anniversary was entirely designed to get the people our age of the world to shell out some bailout money and it worked so there's that the the things you couldn't have i mean the number of people i've been saying this the things you couldn't have when you were younger because you didn't have access to the money to get them right or however that worked for you and your family having my discover card memorized and committed on my heart you know sitting there at my computer as the clock ticks away on saturday it was kind of an impulse decision, but it's like, I've been training for this for 30 years. You have, honestly. It reminds me of that movie, um, Blank Check, where yes. he figures out Mr. how to pretend to be Mr. Macintosh. And the most impressive moment is when he figures out, like on those janky old computers we all learned on, like how to sign a check and print it out on his at-home computer and then like deposit it. I mean, I'm still like, I'm still a flutter at that plot line. It's taught me a lot. I'm using it all the time. But, you know, as you mentioned, the time you made for yourself, like possibly at work to do this, you know, it does force me to sit with a hard thing I have to confront you with right now, which is, you know, yesterday was Mother's Day. Shout out to everyone who mothers or is caregiver out there. And, you know, I count myself among that number. Like I am a godmother and I thought I would be getting a card in the mail at the very least. And, you know, I I weathered, I went outside, like, as you know, there's a bear currently loose at my apartment complex. That yes. is not a joke. And, you know, I I braved that because I was like, my God, Cat Ray sent me a card. I'm going to honor that. I want to receive this card today. Guess what's not in my mailbox has not been in my mailbox for approximately a week. <laughs> yeah. So Ray, this year, he's kind of going through some stuff. He's been kind of deep into the Anna Jarvis history oh of, my God. you know, Mother's Day as a collective. And so as part of his protest, he's also kind of taken a turn against the U.S. Postal Service. Raymond is my cat. If this is somehow your first episode and you're still listening, great for you. I'm I'm very pleased about that. But, you know, for Raymond, it's really complicated. So but for you, it's somehow also complicated. I mean, you have posable thumbs. You could apply a stamp <laughs> to an envelope, put it, reach up, put it in a mailbox. But I guess just not happening for me this year. I just have to sit with that. I do also appreciate that, you know, in what I'm going to call your Kirsten year where you're dealing with bears. Yeah. Um, you know, I I appreciate that you are still like tending to the mail and that you also check our PO box where people send us these really lovely things 
that I sometimes wonder if I deserve. People make us clothing. It's so awesome. We had recently a listener made us two excellent sweatshirts with Molly Sings on them. So thank you again. Somebody else, two friends, Stacy and Allison, if you're listening, another Allison. Sorry, Allison, don't feel jealous. Um, <laughs> sent us an American Girl mystery puzzle. Um, we get, we get. I'm scared. Of- like, I'm scared to tackle that. We'll have to figure that out. You know I struggle with puzzles, but like I will I will engage in this. I will do it. And they wrote us a very helpful card that was like, you may have to illegally download a book off the internet to figure this out. So that was helpful. I appreciate that. We get really nice cards. We get postcards. We get buttons. We get all kinds of stuff. And truly, it means the world to me. I'm so appreciative of it, of all of you. Like hearing from you, it does make my day. Like so on a tough day when I don't get a Mother's Day card for my god cat. <laughs> You know, like that's hard. Truly though, Allison, I was leaving this complex yesterday to go to see my mom and Anna and I were in the car and we're driving out of the complex and like Anna just yells, bear. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I stop and we look in the, like literally 30, 40 feet from us is a baby bear. I'll post photos of this bear. Of course I backed up. I was like, I'm in a Subaru, I'm safe. We back up, I'm like, we're like, we're locking eyes. Like seriously, we're staring at each other. And I'm like, this is insane. How am I, how do I live in a place where there are bears just casually around? Kirsten had to ask herself the same thing, but I think much like Kirsten, you were up for the challenge. I was, I mean, did I get the hell out of there after taking some photos from a safe distance? Yes. Um, But you know, these are times I don't understand, Allison. Like we talked about, you know, the renaissance of like early 2000s stuff happening Mm. last week, Rebecca Black, which a lot of you felt very strongly about. Thank you for writing to us, recommending other Rebecca Black songs, much appreciated. But did I think after we, like the ink was barely dry on this podcast. And then we got a news update. Like, seriously, how was this not breaking into every television show? J-Lo and Ben back together, Allison. Did we ever think? Did we ever think? I just feel for... Jennifer Garner? Well, I always feel for her. But I mean, I was going to say I feel for Ashanti because... Ashanti was also in the news because she posted an Instagram photo with a very handsome man. And everyone was like, hey, is that your new boyfriend? And she was like, actually, I was at a restaurant. And that's the manager. So it was like, oh, it's kind of bleak. But I mean, it's like I want her to have a similar glow up, although she may not want that for herself. She's a busy lady. But, you know, J-Lo and Ben back together. Your thoughts. Are you jealous? So I'll just say in a moment where staff are forming their own uprisings and like using taped up pieces of paper to fight against slow wages. Yep. I love a pop star who does a photo opportunity with a member of the working class in in her restaurant. So we love that. I love Love Ashanti. I love Ben and J-Lo going out to the West as all pop stars do. It's sort of like, do they know about Kaya? Yes. What part of her story are they trying to recreate? Maybe this Don't tell me. I'd hope not. Seriously. Like, I don't know. It's it's so bleak. The fact that they're going to Montana together is like a giant question mark. So, you know, in theory, it's a place to be private, except we've already seen footage of them leaving a jet and getting into a vehicle. I just want to say thank you to their respective managers, because this is kind of getting me through the week. They so knew we needed it. Yeah. I'm really happy about this journey. I'll say also there was some controversy with the release of the new 35 
anniversary imagery of Kirsten as a pioneer specifically and some of the language surrounding her as a colonist or as a settler. And in this moment, it's like we need this Ben and J-Lo footage so we can all be thinking about colonization critically. I just think it's an entry point. We all need to heal, okay? And maybe J-Lo wants to perform Ben on tour and so she just has to like be with him briefly for it to feel real again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's just a word to all the young musicians out there. Like, please just think about it before you release a track literally named for the person that you're dating right now. Because not to say I don't believe in your love and it's not beautiful, but like if it doesn't work out, you don't want to be haunted by that. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, on our Discord, which is jumping off, I we have a channel called Total Request High where we talk music and God knows what else. And I unfortunately did have to ruin some people's lives and tell them about the time Taylor Swift literally wrote a song about Bobby and Ethel Kennedy's love that she, I guess, like performed for or was inspired by her then crush and brief dating of an actual Kennedy. So, you we know, that was Ethel. tough. What's wrong with Ethel? No, but I'm just saying, Allison, like, it's so tough when you're dating someone and like, imagine you want to impress someone, okay? Like you're going after Ben Affleck for reasons no one understands. <laughs> and you go after Ben Affleck and you're like, Ben, okay, listen, I know we're just friends at this point and I want to take this to the next level. Again, I don't know how straight culture works. I'm just rolling with this. And you're like, listen, I sat down with my guitar last night and I was like thinking about your grandparents and how much they love each other. And I wrote a song about their love story. Your move. I mean, he I'm loves a saying. musician. So I do love that you're bringing this up because names and naming conventions are really central to Kaya's hero. That is true. Yes. This is really a story about a namesake, which is wonderful. It's a story about a namesake and not unlike JLo's truly star turn in Selena about a tragic passing of a really inspirational woman far too soon. And by that, I mean, it should not have happened in this book, period. Should not have happened. No. Are we doing this? I think we're doing this. I just want to just, before we jump into it, give people a few things that I've consumed lately that I think will spark joy because I think, yet again, this conversation about this book may inspire that. So just briefly, we do disagree about Girls 5 Eva, but I think it's very funny. Worth your time. Busy Phillips should be in everything. I think she's very funny. I also like Paula Pell. And I I always get into stuff sometimes later than everyone else. And I just happened upon Sarah Burrell's Waitress album, which I'd never heard before, and it's very, very good. And then I had no idea she would be in this show, and she's also a good surprise as an actor. I also read Casey Wilson's memoir, The Wreckage of My Presence, which I also recommend. They're both fun. Just I'm, that I'm not doing anything that I can be proud of right now. I, you think I, I'm proud of this stuff? I mean, it's just, I also watched the season opener of Real Housewives of New York, which is also not a thing I'm proud of, but it happened to me. I did that, so... Just like just people like store these points of joy away in your mind, because where we're taking you now is like not going to be necessarily a joy machine, but we will learn things and it's happening. We're doing it. We're doing it. Let's go. Allison, I don't want to invoke he who shall not be named on this show, but recently I did get some new glasses, which truly provided me with a what some might call a 2020 experience. Oh, tell me more. So recently I got some glasses from Warby Parker and this is not my first pair. This is not my first rodeo with Warby Parker, but it just is really great every time genuinely. So 
I ordered five. You got five sample frames to try at home. So I ordered five. And as you do, I took photos of myself, sent it to the group chat, got some immediate fierce feedback. And then when you ship them back, I was able to place an order for my favorite frames. And now I have a brand new pair of glasses that I truly, truly love. Warby Parker is committed to providing exceptional vision care online and in stores, offering eyeglasses, sunglasses, eye exams, and contact lenses. Glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. Sunglasses, progressives, and blue light lenses are also available. Yeah, I mean, an iconic moment in my own lifetime was trying to fail my eye exam to look more like my doll Never forget. when I was in elementary school. And Warby Parker lets you kind of relive those memories in a safe way. With Warby Parker, you get to decide how your glasses look. You get to learn about the quality through the home try-on kit. And it also just really gives you a lot of autonomy over the experience. You're not in a store. You're able to do this in the comfort of your own home. And if you want to cosplay fake failing an exam, there is no one to stop you. Truly no one. Or you could do what I did. I mean, I lived a lie for many years and memorized the eye chart so I wouldn't have to have glasses on my license. Again, Olivia Rodrigo wouldn't even recommend that. But in part, it was because I didn't have glasses that I liked and now I don't have to play that game anymore. So congrats, fellow drivers in the state of Connecticut. You're safer every single day. If you want to be safer and look good and wear eyewear that is inspired by Jack Kerouac, try Warby Parker's free home try-on program. You'll order five pairs of glasses to try on at home for free for five days, and there's no obligation to buy. They ship free and include a prepaid return shipping label. Try five pairs of glasses at home for free at warbyparker.com slash americangirlspod. That's slash americangirlspod. Okay, so I'm going to give us a synopsis to kind of get us started. And I do think, especially with this story, we're going to need to go over some characters from the front because we're going to need to have that in our framework as we get started. Because I I will say the subtitle for Kaya's Hero is Don't Get Attached, if I may. (sighs) Yeah. Yep. So... Kaya is in awe of a young warrior woman named Swan Circling, who's so fearless she doesn't even flinch when a runaway horse gallops straight at her. Swan Circling goes with the men into battle, brings them fresh horses, and tending to them wounded. If I were as strong as Swan Circling, Kaya thinks, I'd find a way to get my sister back. Swan Circling has heard the children calling Kaya Magpie, the nickname she got for being irresponsible. Although Kaya has made mistakes, she wants very badly to be friends with Swan Circling. Will Swan Circling want to be friends with her? First of all, that summary is bizarre. Second of all, you know who deserves a nickname for being irresponsible? Who? Oh, Janet? Shaw. Yes. Yes. Um, So I want to begin, before we give you a deeper summary, with some information that the American Girl Wiki provided to me because... I have treated this book as a true crime story. So first of all, when we reconnect with Kaya, some time has elapsed because it is now winter and winter was coming in the previous book when Kaya escaped and freed herself from slavery. Sadly, she had to leave her sister behind, which was really traumatic for her, but she did bring with her the young Salish boy, Two Hawks. So he's on the mend. He is staying with her people. They're engaging in a series of activities. Here's something you need to know. 
a lot of this book is about Kaya dealing with shame about not building, not being able to feel like she can live up to how she thinks Swan Circling sees her, right? She's her hero and she wants to live up to this idea that she thinks Swan Circling has of her. Here's an important fact from the wiki. When raiders invade the camp to steal the horses, Swan Circling heads towards the horses instead of riding. She stabs at the raider attempting to steal her horse, knocking him back. That's in the previous book. Here's why you need to know this. Kaya's whole bag this entire time is that she doesn't deserve any positive attention from Swan Circling because Swan Circling doesn't know that, to Kaya's interpretation, she failed to protect her sister. She was there. She was there. Yeah. I mean, so it's like, what is the whole point of this being like, I need, because she psychs herself up at the end of the book, like, I'm going to tell her now. I can't really be her real friend. She can't really know me unless she knows like every part of me, including this thing I'm most ashamed of. And it's like, as you're pointing us to, she was there. She knows. She was there. And she's also an adult. So she's going to understand that the way that Kaya responds in a stressful situation is not going to be the same as a grown woman, literal warrior. Right. And also you would hope that also as an adult, she might respond to Kaya's shame like self-shaming that's very deep by saying hey kaya you're a child and you were going through a violent and traumatic event you are not responsible for what happened when an act of violence happened against also like your sister and you you know you did the best you could in the circumstance you were in you blaming yourself is not the answer which is also not the response she gets from her mom i should say at the end of this book either no and her mom's like, yeah, she knew. Like, not another, not like, no, you shouldn't feel that way. Stop punishing yourself. She's like, yeah, she knew. Like, it's, she's okay with it. Yeah, Kaya's parents are, I would say, like, less involved than in other stories. So Kaya has come back from this really difficult experience. She's still kind of struggling with some communication barriers with two hawks. But what's kind of interesting is between these books, not a ton of time is passing, and yet Kaya is really always with like very different groups of people. Like it's book three, and instead of feeling like we're getting deeper, this whole book is swan circling. And then I just want to say it, she's taken away from us. Okay. I don't even know how to, I was so surprised and in the worst possible way by the events of this, the second half of this book, possibly yeah. last third. Because they hype you up with this narrative. Essentially, like the big story of this book is Kaya is feeling guilty. Her sister is still in captivity. Her horse is MIA. They're literally not included in the front portraits of this book is like a message, a metaphor. She's feeling such guilt about this. And then this woman comes on the scene who's like allegedly been there the whole time. And she's like, wow, I really admire this woman swan circling because she's so brave and she's a warrior and all this stuff. And she, it's this really interesting story that I think actually is relatable for girls and for mm -hmm. everybody of like, when you meet someone who's just a little bit older than you and you think they're like, you so admire them, you so you're amazed by them that you want them to be like your mentor and you wanna be like them when you grow up. And that's how she feels about her. And Swan Circling seems to get that and sort of takes Kaya under her wing. And she's just giving Kaya space to like open up with her and like share what she's been through in her captivity and the guilt she carries. And then she's dead. 
Not only is she dead, there is a brief but thorough forensic examination, and we are given graphic information about how her horse not only went through the ice, but she hit her head and bled out. Kaya is nine. And I'm not saying that Kaya necessarily shouldn't be told this information, but it's a really very jarring moment in the book. And I think in some ways there were so many kind of moments of silliness in the Kirsten books and that we were really let in on all these small moments of delight. Like even when Kirsten is kind of getting hot with the bees, there's like a little bit of humor there. It's a little over the top. And, you know, even the recent reboot of Kirsten, it's like she has a kitten. You know, there's some fun there with the quilting. I was so on edge and nervous for Kaya in this book because she finally has this person who's a great role model. And Kaya is really hard on herself. She's a lot like our friend Josefina, where she's always really mad at herself for not doing things exactly the right way. And Swan Circling, much like her grandmother, kind of even tells her, like, listen, you're going to get past Magpie. We're all going to get past it. She's like, listen, like people are trying to make fetch happen here. It's not going to happen. We're all going to grow out of it. Like you will you will evolve past this basically and it will be sort of a memory. So don't get attached to it. Don't worry about it. And she's like, "Okay, great. They have this interaction where it's very clear that she's wanting to share with Swan Circling, like unburden herself of all these feelings. And my anticipation was this is a really beautiful moment because Mm. Swan Circling is someone who is very like her temperament wise and seems to really understand her and know her motivations. And so she's going to give her the right feedback, which is please stop blaming yourself. Like we all need to be kind to ourselves. Like it wasn't your fault. And instead, like, as you're saying, we get this then pivot where a a baby who is almost killed in the beginning of the book suddenly now is sick and the medicine woman comes and is tending to the baby and pulls Swan Circling aside and says, like, I need you to go out and get the tree bark of this, like, specific tree from which I'll make a medicine to heal the baby. And so it's like a snowstorm or it's like winter. She goes on her horse that Kaya, like, prepares for her. And she's like, Kaya, watch for me. Like, I'll be back by nightfall. Mm. And she never comes back, but the horse does with the bag, with the bark. So like the the medicine happens, the baby recovers. But just as like the baby's out of the woods, her husband returns after looking for her with her body. And it's like, this is very intense. Yes. Like if you think about Kirsten and like what went down in that book, like the hijinks of that book were like, she let a raccoon in the house when she was told not to and the house burns down. And it's like, okay, you did do that. And her dead, but she also has an interaction with the dead body. Correct. Like, Janet Shaw, what are you doing? Like, thoughts? Like, Allison, where is this coming from? So there's the piece of this book that I really love, which is, again, as you said, having an older person in your life who you really admire. And I was thinking about this book while we were doing a rewatch of Pretty in Pink this weekend because there's a central female role model in that story who kind of, you know, leads the protagonist played by Molly Ringwald, you know, kind of. She guides her, but she's gentle about it. And it's a really beautiful relationship. And it was making me kind of think about, you know, 
the different ways in which these books provide models and reading it now, it's like we're it more in a place where we should be a swan circling than a Kaya. Like we should take on those attributes of like being good models for other people. And it was so interesting because I was wondering, you know, what would that experience be like to have read this in a Kaya age? Right. Because now I think it's like I read it more of I'm noticing what Swan Circling is doing as a good mentor or as kind of really an exemplar in the community. And a part that honestly kind of hit me, too, is the women around her are like, oh, yeah, and she doesn't have kids. And yeah, there's like a really interesting friction around that of this woman who is around children, saves a baby's life, is life changing to Kaya. And someone makes a comment in the book like it will be a letdown if she doesn't have children. And I was like, this is a very um, (laughs) this is a perspective very much like ripped out of like a sitcom more than. Yeah. I think, a culture of this time. Well, yeah, and I think that's still something that is so taboo or it's not something that you can just say without fear of, like, judgment in some circles where it's like, yeah, I I love kids. I don't want to have them myself. Or, like, parenting is not a dream I have for my life, but I so appreciate the hard work that goes into being a parent. Like, I'm not saying this personally, but, like, you know, I have friends who are, per- mm-hmm. like, consciously childless and they have shared with me like they're afraid to say that around certain relatives or you know at work because there's such judgment over that and not to say that that's what was going on in this book that swan circling was consciously childless but you know just the fact that she was not a mother yet in her relatively brief marriage to her husband i think they've only been married for a couple of months we learn and people are like they're not she's not they don't have kids yet like you know notable fact but it's also like there's another kind of judgment here too which is brown deer Hmm. any mention we get of kaya's sister the only interest she has to our plot is whether she's a candidate of marriage for this guy that she has her eye on she's described as making a necklace for him yes before his tribe comes to join theirs for a winter ceremony and basically you get the scene of him arriving with his family and they kind of like make eyes at each other and kyle's like oh my god like it's all happening but all we know about her is that she wants she's attracted to this guy that's it What's so funny is she actually very much has Jill from the Molly books vibes where there's a reference to the fact that she's putting more oils in her hair. And I was like, okay, same, because (laughs) I'm constantly on new regimens from my, my, let's call them prescription, my subscription boxes that I'm obsessed with. Close enough. And so I'm thinking this is very much Jill vibes where it's like there's a, a small age gap, but a big difference in maturity just because that's how life is at different stages you make different kind of leaps in different directions and she's thinking about like gifts for this guy or different ways that she's going to kind of communicate with him it's like very similar to other sibling dynamics in the books which is kind of interesting yeah and you have to wonder how purposeful that is and with that kind of life cycle trajectory in mind I do think something that's particularly different at least to me is how central role the grandmother plays and I really love the grandmother as a character because None of what she contributes to the book is kind of flashing in your eyes like, hi, I'm someone who's had children and I have grandchildren. Like she doesn't define herself by her position in the family or like her capacity to have reproduced in the same way that Swan Circling is judged for that and Brown Deer is sort of like 
anticipating that or depicted in that way. She purely exists as someone who provides meaning and direction through storytelling and also passes down important knowledge through um, weaving. And, you know, so it's like she's actually doing this really important cultural work in the books and is valued like very highly and centrally. And it's interesting that we don't really get that in necessarily the other books. Like we have obviously Grand Mary and Samantha, but she's sort of like an authority figure who like comes down on people and doesn't really like impart knowledge, I don't think in the same way. And Grandfather in Felicity's books is just like, gives her a guitar, is dead. Owns people. Owns people. Okay, so Mary, when you were younger, you were probably looking for different places to get information about your skin or like different care and keeping of you concerns. And maybe that came for you in a book. Maybe you were lucky enough to have the internet, but it can be super hard to know what actually works. For example, should you be putting Windex on your face a la my big fat Greek wedding? I never tried that. For legal reasons, I did not try that. Oh my God. There is a different way, which is Apostrophe, a prescription skincare company that offers science-based, so real, oral and topical medications clinically proven to help with acne and other skin issues. Yeah, so Apostrophe has been kind of a godsend to us. I mean, we've had different skincare journeys, but I think the thing we can both agree on is that in your 30s, your skin is not a foregone conclusion. You know, maybe your skin rebels against you. That's my story. Never really had any teen tragic skincare stories, but my 30s are somewhat of a different story. You know, am I afraid I'm turning into a crone? Hard to say, but Apostrophe has been really easy and effective to work with. So just so you know how it works, you basically go on their website, you answer some very brief, easy questions, and then you're matched with a real dermatologist. And they you know, actually look at photos of your skin, of your face, and they tailor a plan to your exact needs. And submitting this visit was super quick, and it didn't require me to schedule an appointment, which is really helpful in busy days, even working at home during a pandemic. Something I loved about what I received was it came in this really great little box right in my mailbox. It felt awesome when I actually put it on my face, which is also always huge. And we have a special deal just for our audience. You can save $15 off your first visit with a board certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash American Girls Pod. When you use our code American Girls Pod, this code is only available to our listeners. If you recall, the woman who teaches Josefina how to weave is actually an indigenous woman. And there's such a huge difference. It's it's really interesting to be reflective across all of the books. There's such a huge difference in the way that, you know, sort of like to paraphrase Hamilton, like she doesn't get to tell her story and yeah. the way. So we've been doing some some like deeper research into, you know, why this book is set when it is. And from my kind of like Western colonial perspective, I was like, what is going on in 1764, right? Like that's what we've done with every other series. So I'm coming up with these random factoids like Ben Franklin is going to London. Okay, but like that has nothing to do with this. (laughs) Stamp Act, Sugar Act, all these things that have nothing to do with this. But it was a very deliberate choice and something that was specifically pushed by the Nez Perce council members that they wanted this to be post-initial contact. They wanted horses to be central, but pre-complete colonization. 
And that really comes out in moments like this, where the grandmother is still there to tell her story. Whereas by the time of Josefina's story, that indigenous woman is indentured to her family. Is she not? She absolutely is. And I think that's a really important point. That something that the periodization of this book, I think, allows or foregrounds is women playing a very equitable and in many ways leadership roles within the tribe and within the kind of kinship network of this world. And I think that comes through not only in the grandmother saying, like, I have these foundational narratives that came Mm -hmm. to me through baskets traded between tribes that I want to pass along to you. And when she tells that story, I really love that moment because she's basically like, everyone's hanging out working and they're not super paying attention. And she's like, everybody be quiet. Like, I'm going to be telling a story now. (laughs) Yes. And I kind of love that moment, not because I'm a Leo, but because it's sort of like she knows she stands in her power in that moment and is like, I know the role I'm meant to play here and I'm about to play it and everybody loves it like I loved how much Kaya loves her grandmother and how much she treasures hearing those stories and she even exchanges a look with Swan Circling during the story about the cedar tree because she's just wanting to see if Swan Circling appreciates the storytelling as much as she does and she sees that she does and it's like yet another thing that she feels bonded with Swan Circling about and it's just like really beautiful moment. That was probably my favorite moment in the book. But I think there's also a moment too where female knowledge is honored with the medicine, the healer who comes to mm-hmm. heal the baby. And, you know, she's so described as like for her age, but also the wisdom that she has that, you know, no one wants to do anything to even try to help the baby until she arrives because they so trust her. And she proves it by immediately knowing, like everyone else looks at the crying baby and is like, we don't know what to do bad situation and she comes in and is like okay swan circling i need this tree bark i'm gonna make this medicine and everything will be fine and you know she does heal the baby again at the cost of swan circling's life but you know just to kind of throw this out there you were talking about periodization from like a western perspective and i was kind of looking through history of medicine materials trying to find you know, any kind of real analysis of what would be going on in this time period. And of course, like sources like create some kind of issues here, but, and everything is written in the history of medicine, I should say so much in the past decade or so it's improved. But if you look at histories of medicine from the eighties, the nineties, early two thousands, it's still from a very Western perspective. So what you find is like analysis of someone named Benjamin Rush, who goes on to be an important person in the history of mental illness because he runs a mental hospital in Philadelphia. He writes, um, he actually gives a speech in which he interrogates knowledge that medicine, Western medicine has tried to receive from the indigenous people Mm. and basically uses it as a moment to depict them as like uncivilized. And it's very purposefully done, like acknowledging that, for example, like the contribution of herbal medicine of indigenous people to the West is strong, but also denigrating that they know what to do with it. So like basically undercutting them at every turn which other Western physicians speak out against, but it does set a tone that has continued like hundreds of years, which pits so-called orthodox medicine against maybe like traditional indigenous medicine and other ways of healing or other ways of knowing. So just kind of in the spirit of that, doing some research on that, I did find a recent article that we can post from, it's called The Differential, and it's um, a publication through the University of Arizona College of Medicine. But this person who um, is a historian and a, and a physician did some research kind of just identifying some supplements and some um, herbs that were first identified as part and used in traditional indigenous medicine that are now incorporated into our own 
into like Western drugs prescribed by physicians today. And one statistic says that more than 120 drugs prescribed by physicians today were first made from plant extracts, and 75% of these were derived from examining plants used in traditional indigenous medicine. So a lot of the medicines that we use in day-to-day life actually come from um, uh, extracts originally identified and used in indigenous medicine, including Silesian, Silesian, I'm not pronouncing that right, but it metabolizes to silesic acid, which is the main ingredient in aspirin. Um, There's also um, foxglove, which is used to treat heart failure. Uh, Let's see, dogbane to treat edema secondary to renal and cardiac failure. It's also an oral contraceptive. There's many different examples here, and I'll post this article, but all to say that there is, every time you hear some kind of like, narrative of progress in the history of medicine, often it's not real or it's kind of a signal that you should be more curious about what else is going on there. So we've had for hundreds of years like this triumph of Western medicine. And what this article and other scholarship has pointed us to is like often that was built on kind of like colonized knowledge. So that's an important thing that I think we can kind of sit with when we're thinking about this book. Cut to Lewis and Clark depositing mercury all over their trip and the fact that we know where they were because of that, which is like genuinely a really like haunting fact to me, they dropped in on what would have been essentially kind of Kaya's family's territory. And there's a really good chance that Kaya could have been alive. Like she does overlap with a Josefina timeline. I just really hope she didn't meet them like for her sake. She doesn't need that energy in her life, like truly does not. You know what's fascinating is, so Kaya would have been a contemporary of Catherine the Great, and I think part of why that is sort of interesting or or sort of stimulating to me also is when we talked about Felicity's time period, which is also very close to this, there's a lot of really big ideas happening in different contexts. I don't want to just say countries, but there's a lot of big ideas that people are kind of working out all over the world. And I think what's really important about this book is, in a way, you know, history you might have been familiar with before isn't artificially inserted into this story. Instead, we are really living within the confines of Kaya's world and what that means. And I was reflecting on my car ride home very safely. Um <laughs> But I was thinking about it and how much awareness Kaya has of like in-group and out-group, right? Mm. So Two Hawks is recuperating within the community that she's part of. And there's an understanding that her people and the Salish have this understanding, right? And he's safe with them and he understands that he's safe with her community. At the same time, he's not really fully absorbed, right? Like there's, Mm. there's not a sense that he's like a brother to her now that's not happening at all and there's a persistent fear about what could be happening with her sister who is still being held enslaved and i think part of what i find really really like does kind of take in my attention and really does kind of like keep me engaged in the kaya stories is all the different multi-layered relationships that she has with people across generations across these different communities and even the way that knowledge about swan circling is so immediate to her right like she hasn't been a big part of our stories yet but the in-depth way that kaya understands people in her world and i think that's valuable for kind of like 
someone like me, right, who wasn't raised with this kind of education about indigenous history, because I think often I was taught at best that this was like all these encounters were baffling, right? Like everyone was so confused. And actually what you're learning is that Kaya and the other people in her community and Two Hawks have this really sophisticated system for communicating with people who they don't share a language. They're able to understand people whose values might be different. And I think because we were taught from a Western colonial perspective, it's like, nope, they were confused. This was right. pure chaos. And it's like, actually, it was chaos because you were genocidal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just kind of like the sign language communication systems alone across tribes is so impressive and different than things in Western history that, you know, we're more familiar with. But I think it is kind of that feeling of, you know, presenting things as like baffling, like these cross-cultural interactions when really like that's perhaps not the way it was. And we kind of need to check our own colonial gaze, even as we try to imagine ourselves into the past, even when we know rationally, you know, that this is not how it went. You don't understand sometimes how much you've taken on the gaze of the stuff that you just grew up around, like what you heard in school, like books you read for fun, whatever it is. So I think sometimes you kind of just have to like take a pause and think like, why is this my gut reaction, you know? And where is that coming from? Yeah, I mean, reviewer Danny loved it when she was nine, read it seven times. Wow. Still high rate for her. I don't think I could do this book again because it made me so sad. I was genuinely so attached to Swan Circling. I thought she was an amazing character. Like, truly, I'm not kidding. And so when she died, I almost started crying. Yeah, I felt really invested. And I think also this might be where there's, there's a legitimate cultural difference because, you know, a lot of... I can say in my own family, um, nobody loved a John more than my uh, paternal ancestors. They were like, John, we got it. John Edward, we've got nine of them. So like nobody ever said like, let's maybe, let's maybe hold back on the namesakes. No, we couldn't get enough. My mom's side, it's Simon and Nahum. They were like, we love it. We love an end name. So at any rate, I mentioned this because at the end of the book, Kaya learns that when it's the right time, she will become, she will become swan circling. Like she will take on not just that name, but she will own things that are important to her. And my most precious objects are things that belong to people in my family, right? That I can't ever replace. My sister is a namesake, you know, so like those things do still continue on. But I think we were so shocked by the death when that is also like a very specific kind of perspective because they're all very sad. But in their world, swan circling is living on. Everyone is taking care of her things. They're doing the right ceremonial things to make sure that she can be at peace, which is dispersing everything that she owned. And Kaya is given this amazing honor of having this opportunity to become not just the girl who rearranges rocks, but swan circling. And that is really different than I think the naming culture that I'm used to. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think also like taking on that name after you've lived a lot of your life with a different name Mm -hmm. is sort of a different piece maybe to like white Western practices. I think as I've said, like probably 500 times on this show, like I'm named after my grandmother which is a really meaningful thing to me. We're both Mary Margaret, which I've never gone by um, because I've yet to enter a convent. We'll see. But um, (laughs) 
But, you know, it was very special to me when I was growing up that we had the same name. And I prefer being called Mimi, not by you, because I waited too long to tell you that. So you're just like, it's too late. But it's interesting because now I still go by Mary at, at work, like in the world, because in some ways, like this may sound cheesy, but like my grandmother was not someone who traveled like she didn't really get out much. So anytime I get to do something cool in my life or go somewhere and somebody calls me Mary, it makes me genuinely feel like we're doing it together Mm. Um, because she had certain limitations on her life that I didn't. And, you know, so if I get to go somewhere interesting or, you know, like we're writing a book, like my grandmother would have been like so freaked out and just like obsessed with that fact, even though she did not read. But um, like for fun, she could. She just preferred watching (laughs) Judge Judy. Um, Respect. But, you know, like it's sort of like, well, I moved through the world with my grandmother this way. Like she's no longer here with me, but like I have her name and, you know, I feel like I'm there's a part of her that's still with me because of that. So I can't appreciate what Kaya went through because obviously of like huge cultural difference and time difference and whatever else. But that really moved me because like I really do feel like it's an honor or it's like a bridge to a person that means a lot to you. Um, Yeah, I don't know. So I mean that it's different, but it did mean something. It resonated with me. It is different. And I think it's a part of the book that is really especially grounded in real material culture, for lack of a better phrasing than that. I was looking into the saddle piece that Kaya is given as part of this ceremonial process, and there is an almost exact replica that is part of a collection that is being not only renamed, but finally brought back to the Nez Perce people. Um, So there was a series of negotiations, um, all very much freighted against the Nez Perce people, but after years, this collection that should have always been theirs is coming back into their possession. Mm. And there's some really great videos that we'll have to link to that show Indigenous people explaining why that object is important to them, sort of like the deeper meaning. And there's one that is on a saddle that is like truly identical to the one that is featured in this book. And talking about like how a woman would have used it, like how a woman warrior would have thought about it. And what struck me listening to the video was this person describing all the different things that women could do while they were also riding a horse. There are many times in this book where like a baby is straight up on a horse. Yeah. But she's safe because there's a training and a culture. Like I think in the same way that some people would like strap a baby into a car, which is kind of an intense thing when you take a 10,000 foot perspective, like here's this big metal can going 80 miles per hour. Let's put a baby in it with a little V, you know. I heard it's okay though, because if you have a baby on board bumper sticker, then everyone knows to like not That's hit true. car. That's what I've heard. There is a psychological effect to those stickers. For you or just like generally? No, it's just like known. Okay. Okay. Just didn't but know this- that. This baby is like very, um, I think something that's like brilliantly like woven into the book also is the way that the baby is kind of a subject of community care Mm. versus like, oh, it's her kid. She's got to deal with it. Everyone is like very invested in the care of the baby when she's sick. But the actual opening page is just Kaya like inquiring whether the baby is wet on the board that she's on and what kind of care the baby needs and it's very clear that like you know swan circling is a warrior like people have all these different skills but swan circling is called upon to use those skills to help protect their most vulnerable 
Yeah. Which I would say is kind of the opposite of mainstream American society. That is definitely true. But yeah, I mean, you could see like truly like the feeling of a kinship network or like community care, mutual aid is so alive in this book that nobody says like, hey, um, I think your baby needs to be changed. Like it's sort of like Kaya notices it needs to happen. She does it without comment and immediately starts to look for more materials to use in the future, like to change the baby. And, you know, takes this on as like, oh, this is all of our job, basically, to make sure the baby is safe. And Swan Circling makes a really dramatic entrance to the book because when the horse that the baby is attached to gets spooked when they're gathering firewood, it takes off for like an open meadow. And if it gets into the meadow, the horse is sort of like hard to get back. And Swan Circling cuts the horse off and just stands in front of it when she could have mm-hmm. been like stampeded over. And it's just like, wow, this is literally how brave. Like, that was an interesting, I liked that piece of storytelling because rather than tell you, like she's a very brave person, it's like, let us show you. And then everything we say about her is something that feels believable because you've seen it. Yeah. Yeah, that was like a really cool scene also. And it was fun to see Kaya get excited. It was fun to see Kaya kind of feel like, oh, there's like somebody, like I think kind of the, you know, like modern interpretation of this book would be like, Kaya meets a cool lady. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Who she really thinks is just like down. And even watching Pretty in Pink made me think about, you know, being younger. And like we had a family friend who very much like my sister was really inspired by like my sister really thought she was very cool. And I remember thinking this woman is like very fancy. Like she dresses very well. Her nails are always perfect. And I was sort of like, that's not it. And then meeting a woman that I really admired who was like a family friend of a friend's and kind of just like seeing her very cool house and that she lived on a lake and just kind of seemed to do whatever she wanted. And she owned a lot of books. And for me, it was like, this is it. Yeah. And I kind of joke because I think of those TikToks that are sort of like, I don't do this to impress this group of people, I do it so, you know, a young girl will walk by me on the street and think I look cool, which I think is actually very real because sometimes you just, you know, at 33, I know where I'm at with my peers and where I don't need to try to insert myself. But to know that, like, you've really made an impact on a younger person and said, you can do this, like, you can go be this. That's really cool. Mentoring is such an awesome thing. Like now that I remember like being a younger person, I had someone in my life too, who was like kind of a great aunt, great aunt figure to me who lived with her friend. And my dad used to take us to visit them. They lived in an apartment. She had a dish of butterscotch candies just lying out. (laughs) And I was like, this is amazing. She had a gym. It was kind of janky. But like basically she was like, what I do in my day is like I go to the library. I go out to lunch with my friends. I come home and watch TV. Like I do what I want. I was like, I don't know what, how do I get here? Like what happens? What do I have to do to do this? But now like on an opposite side, like she was genuinely very encouraging of me when I was growing up. And this past year, I've had the opportunity to like volunteer with the Girl Scouts and mentor someone who's going for their gold award. And just in a very small way, being involved in her project, it's so exciting to see a younger person who has so much like talent and energy and like goodwill and putting it towards something really cool. And I don't know, it just, this book in a way like inadvertently inspired me to try to get back more into volunteer situations where I can mentor people because you just see like the advantage of it. And obviously Mm. like I've known it from the other end too. So that's like a positive outcome. Yeah. Who was your hero when you were nine and who is your hero now? 
Hmm. I think I know what you're going to say. I don't I don't know. I haven't I didn't know I was going to um, ask you. When that. I was 9, my hero was my grandmother. I had this thing in school that was called Star of the Week and Aww. I invited my grandmother in as my celebrity. Like I was like I know a local celebrity. Like she's going to come in and my grandmother wore pearls and a sweatsuit and white I love it. and a gold chain. And she came in and talked about like how powerful reading is. My grandmother was a second grade teacher. As I said, she did not read in her free time. So that was confusing to me that that's the subject she chose. But <laughs> unbeknownst to me, like that was the year that um, my teacher told my parents I should go into special ed because I seemed to have a lot wrong with me, like great teaching. And I switched to Catholic school the next year, which like cured me of that, I guess. But and I had the best teacher of my life that year. But my grandmother, knowing this, basically was like, I need to get into that school to have words with that teacher. (laughs) So I thought I was inviting her for one thing. My grandmother thought she was coming for a different reason. But my grandmother was for sure my hero. I would say now I think I have like a lot of heroes for different reasons. I think now is easier for me to answer. I think it's my mom. I don't know if if it was always my mom when I was a kid, but I think it's my mom now for like things she's accomplished as an adult. Mm-hmm. And I really respect that. And I think when I was young, I think my heroes were probably all fictional, which I think is also like, I think you go through different periods where it's like, it's people you know versus people you don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, Because a hero is also different from a mentor. Like my mom kind of inspires me to get to different places, but I have had a lot of mentors who I look to to kind of be like, well, here's how I'm going to get from A to B to C. And those are different things. Mm. Right. Like I honor those people. I think very highly of those people. But in terms of a person where it's like they kind of live on a different plane for you, that is like a another another thing. I think that's true. I mean, I think in some ways I've been fortunate that I have a lot of people in my life that I sort of think about in that way. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's hard to name just one. I was thinking this weekend about I have this doctor when I was a teenager named Dr. Alex Flores. He was in, he's at Boston Children's Hospital. He literally saved my life. And the first time I met him, I had seen other doctors who were basically like, yeah, your tests are normal. You're fine. And made it seem like it was all in my head, like this rare GI disease I ended up having. And he came in and he knew that he kind of knew already what I had and he diagnosed me. And he basically, before he did that though, he said, I just want to apologize for the bad behavior of everyone you've seen before me. Like they've made you think it's in your head. It's not like what you feel is real. And like, he was just, he so spoke to me like I was a person, like he didn't patronize Mm. me, didn't condescend to me. And he admitted when he didn't know something. And those are all really traits that I've admired in that instant. And I've tried to carry into adulthood. So I think when I think about heroes, it's like they have traits that I hope to emulate in my life. And even if I don't get there a hundred percent, I guess it's the climb, as Miley would say, and hopefully I get there like some percentage. I thought you were going to say me in five years. (laughs) No, although I do. I do love that. And I will say that I've met some sort of like historian heroes. And I will say I do think I'm a pretty good judge based off of things I read and people whose work I've really admired and felt like they're the real deal. They have not disappointed. I will say that I have met some people where it's like I really hold them up and then I've met them and they really were what I hoped for. And that's been very positive. 
That's always a good feeling. I mean, I have not had that experience, so <laughs> I've, I feel like I've had a positive. I'm glad one of us did experience. But. Um, so I mean, like that's always been very good. Also, I mean, so you know, one of my fiction writing heroes is Jodi Picoult, and I've met her, and she was really lovely, and that was very affirming. So, you know, even that was very nice. Like I. I was having a hard time reading for fun because of school and feeling like I'll never get back into just like good narrative or like good writing. Like I only know how to pick something apart. And I started reading her books and then I read everything she had written to date in like a very short period of time. And when I met her, it was just like, oh, she's a real person and she's sitting here in a turtleneck. And that was really cool to me. I never really met big authors as a kid. So I did this when I was probably like 24. Okay, you know, I can read, I can read fiction again and I can like kind of get into things. And that was nice. I just wanted to also point out because, you know, I like to bring this into every conversation that after sale market for some Akaya's stuff, I, I've never seen a chart so all over the place you know it's like i i take out my little abacus and i start making Uh-oh. you know spreadsheets of like what can we afford what can we get at are we at floricita levels here <sighs> you know her cradleboard doll one on Gorgeous. ebay taken out of the box once they want us to know that only take it out of the box once, once. if you believe that i've got a you know whatever yep. to sell you hundred dollars <gasps> what was the and- original retail on that So 32. But what's interesting about Kaya is it really isn't a set of stories that lends itself to the same kind of stuff, right? So like with Felicity, one of the higher aftermarket things is her guitar, right? And with Kaya, part of what's really different is like they took another path with her. Her books don't follow all of the same formula and they really worked very hard to be respectful about what you can purchase along those lines. What was kind of shocking to me is the doll in this book is like very much part of the story as it always is in the third book and also like pretty irrelevant. Like Kaya is not really that deep in the doll. She doesn't covet things so much as relationships. I think that's true. And I kind of reflected that in this book, too. If you were thinking about an object that you would, if you had a guess, what object that's mentioned in this book is included because it's going to be merchandised heavily, I would not have guessed the doll, which appears for like literally one paragraph. And it's like she noticed... Um, Speaking Rain's doll needed to be repaired, so she starts to repair it while the grandmother tells a story. But that flute is, like, all over this book. I was like, okay, it's got to be the flute, but I guess not. No, so as part of this story and the ongoing kind of, like, development of different communication between Two Hawks and Kaya, she works with him to make a musical instrument, which makes him happy. And he's he does get kind of frustrated with it, but there's like some nice moments between them. You can get Kaya's horse, which they came out with probably not coincidentally, not long after Felicity's horse was put into the vault slash archive. The prices for those are all over the place. What makes me happy is they also seem to be well loved, which is nice because I like that people are actually like buying these things and and using it. Um, The saddle, which you can also purchase, we'll post a picture of the saddle that's featured in this book and the other Kaya supplementals. And the one that I saw online is through something called the Plateau Portal, um, which is a digital heritage site. 
and you can see this woman's saddle um, being interpreted by Nakia Williamson Cloud, and they talk about all the uses. They are just really similar. And something that was kind of validating looking through this digital collection is how much of what's in the book really seems like a perfect match for what mm. you're seeing. So it feels like very accurate, very interesting. That's cool. And it was also making me reflect on, you know, in other stories, we've talked a lot about class and the different way that like privilege kind of comes in. And that's just not really relevant here. Like there's such a difference in like the way the community is structured. There's status and there's kind of like we learn about how swan circling is dressed and the way that she presents herself as a kind of status she's earned. Whereas with Felicity, it was like, look at what I have. Look at what I own. Did I tell you my dad runs the store? Did you yeah. Did you know I have access to candy? Oh, my God. And a guitar, which I'm not caring for <laughs> appropriately. Family heirloom. In the rain. Yeah, family heirloom. It's out in the rain. Sorry, Grandpa um, and Grandma, RIP. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like there's prestige, but there's not conspicuous consumption in the same way. Like, there was mention of the fact that Swan Strickland gets to wear an eagle feather because she was presented with the feather after her brave rain battle by other warriors. So it's like she's earned that as, like, a sign of her bravery. So it's it's very meaningful, but it's not, like, a commodity being no. worn to show off, you know, just, like, how much money she has. Well, it makes it all the more special, too, that when she does pass, we have these scenes where Kaya is kind of learning what it will really mean to take her things, mm. you know, and now you go to, I was in the self-help area of my library for legal reasons. I don't need to explain why. Sure. No, and no, no explanation necessary, ma'am. <laughs> I mean, we can all improve Look, upon I, ourselves I read all stuff the time. all the time. Yeah, great. <laughs> So I'm in the self-help section and there was like several books in a row that basically were like what to do with your boomer parents stuff. And I was like, <gasps> I already know I will I will fill every corner. Um, my paternal grandmother collected colored glass. Do I have 40 pieces of colored glass? You know, I do because, oh yeah, it's kind of a lot, but. You know, there are there do have to be limits on these things, but like we live in a very different culture of passing on and what things mean to people. And there there are levels of consumption that can just be too much. But um, I was like, wow, what a difference. I saw a book written by a father of how like he and his children raised magpies and I was about to pick it up. And then I said, Allison, your dedication to this show is just not that strong. Should I call you Magpie? Is that where we're getting with this? You know, honestly, like, I wanted to come to the defense of the Magpies, and now I'm kind of over it because Kaya has converted me. And I will say this. If a person says, I don't like to be called, how many times do you need to be told that? Wow. You're preaching to the choir here. I don't understand why people won't just accept what you want to be called. It's, you know... It's not that hard. I mean, I, I had, I'm thinking of like a family member of mine distant. Every time I was here, she would say, hi, Mary Margaret. And I was like, my name is Mimi. Thank you. <laughs> You're aware of this. Like, let's all move on. But she just really liked that name. And she couldn't imagine why I didn't want to go by Mary Margaret when I was seven years old. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a huge, obviously, issue. More higher, much higher stakes than just me not wanting to be called my actual first name. But now, Mary, what did you think of the peek into the past? Like, 
after the death. I don't want to talk like, about that. Oh, okay. Okay, Allison. Getting my copy here. I'm nervous. I need to read you a story, Allison. So just oh, I didn't like up. the story. I didn't either, but I need the listeners to feel the pain that I had to feel and just the pure puzzlement. Okay, so everyone, just like pull over to the side of the road if you're in the car. You know, get real with yourself. Get to a safe place. Here we go. This is a story called The Glen. A husband and wife lived together, away from many people. Each day, the woman dug roots for them to eat. Each day, the man went hunting, but brought back nothing. One day, the woman thought, I will hide today and find out why he never shoots anything. She saw the man shoot a grouse, and then another, and another. That night, the woman waited for him to tell her about the grouse, but he said nothing. The next day, the woman hid and waited until the man left. She found where he had thrown all the feathers and bones. He has been cheating me, the woman thought. Then she packed up and went away. When the man came home, he saw feathers and bones strewn about. She has found me out, he thought. He decided to go to where the people were gathered and look for her. The people were making merry, and the woman was dancing and surrounded by men. The husband became very angry. He took an arrow, drew back his bow, and aimed at her. She turned to him and said, It does not happen to be that I am a grouse. Her talk made him feel ashamed. He dropped his bow and went straight home. The woman stayed right there. End of story. Why was that in this book? I, uh, Allison, I've been thinking about this story ever since I read it. Why is this here? So I was a bit puzzled because we learn in the context of the peek into the past that this is a culture and that Kaya would have grown up in a community of wonderful storytellers. And we see this as exemplified by her grandmother and the different ways that people relate and pass on stories also through objects. And then this is like a plot from a CW sitcom. I mean, not even like this would be a rejected plot line on Dawson's Creek. Like, yeah. I mean, this is like beyond like One Tree Hill would be like, I don't know, this feels a little much for us if you know our audience. It's just like, and what is it? If this is an allegory, what are the people meant to represent? Like, is the woman the planet? Is the man human humanity? I don't understand. Like, the story Grandma tells is basically about a cedar tree that instructs a squirrel how to make a cedar basket that will allow it to sustain itself. And then also that when you learn, when you take from the earth, you give back to it. So in that case, you donate the first five baskets you make to the forest as like a as a tribute. This story, no clear lesson other no. than you shouldn't lie to your wife if you say you're going out hunting or she'll go cheat on, she'll just like move on with other men and shame you in front of them, basically. Okay, so we're we're being critical, but also this is the premise of every messy TikTok. So, okay, that is fair, and those do draw me in. So I hear you. Thank you. I needed that. I think this is hitting at human universals of fairness and unfairness, and we learned that winter was a time where storytelling was particularly important, right? And so I think maybe what is not exactly happening is, like, we're being told that due to colonization, right, like, there are aspects of culture that are very hard, right, for people who live as part of the Nez Perce tribe today to access. And I just can't help but feeling like this story was probably told very beautifully, and an intern was asked to, like, scribble it down, and <laughs> that's, we just yes, that's didn't I, get the top shelf. We're not getting the full story. We're not getting the whole, like, the right version of this story. I think you're absolutely right that it's, 
or we don't get it. Like there are occasionally TikToks where I'm like, I'm too old for this or like something is not right. When you asked me about Tegan and Sarah TikTok, I was like, not familiar. (laughs) You know, like there's just different pockets. That was a shock to me. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. We each have our lanes. Like you have very different (laughs) TikTok than I do. And that's beautiful because we can teach each other. We can share things. But, you know, having both shared this story, I'm, I at least feel some relief that we both walked away from it with equal level confusion because yeah, I just felt like I missed something. And now I've been sitting with this for a few days and I realized like, no, I, I think sort of like when you read that Nancy Drew book and I couldn't figure the plot out and it's because there have been major edits to try to resolve huge racist part pieces of the book, which incidentally were not fully resolved, but... Yeah, I don't know. It, it was tough. Anything else in Peek into the Past that you feel strongly about? No, but I have been reading Kaya's World, and I'm very excited to keep kind of digging into that. I know that we're we're getting a dog. We're getting a puppy, just like Molly, for her Are birthday. Are we going to remember it, though, after we get it as a gift? <sighs> this isn't like Bennett. This, this dog, I think, is actually going to be cared for by a community. Okay. Um, I did want to talk about also, too, I was sort of interested in... The Kaya's World book, there were there was a lot about babies. And I think that has been something that's come up in every single book is kind of child rearing, how this works. And um, we'll share some links that our friends who are new mothers shared with us because I got thinking about baby wearing, right? Mm. And the way that the baby was a very very intimately tied to people in this community and the way that Kaya had this awareness. And I knew just enough to know to ask about conversations that are happening around decolonizing baby wearing, right? Like actually recognizing Mm. appropriately where these practices came from, buying things that support people who came up with these practices. Um, And the Kaya's world actually has some really interesting visuals. And I think part of what this showed me is I learned like different ways that people cared for babies. Our friends also shocked us with a $26,000, you know, carrier that you could put a baby in. So it's like, we're all I learning. I have not there's, recovered from that. There's a spectrum. No, 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 no. Yeah. That baby is a celebrity, so we won't name no. them for legal reasons on the show. But so it got me kind of interested in that and just like the different intimacies in this relationship, right? Like the closeness of the baby and then the fear that she's sick cut back to you know felicity's mother's near death and felicity's like uh doll hello <laughs> just felicity's two very like, different uh, responses mom i have a dress i need finished can you please get up out of that bed if you please yeah like, she's like uh the doll will also require a dress thank you thank you mom thank you thank you take a tylenol which she's is like, appropriated honestly i don't remember the person who wrote this but i do want to thank them someone tweeted the other day i had to research who created ibuprofen because i needed to thank them and i felt that really hard after my second covid shot yeah deep same yeah deep same mary where are we headed next like we're more I kaya i don't know i'm scared we're heading we're still in kaya land I hope we get to a more positive, empowering place. I, w- I really do like Kaya, and I would like for her to feel empowered in her life and stop feeling like she should be ashamed and that the adults in her life are confirming that internal bias. Um, so we'll see where we go next. I hope no one dies, question mark. I think the summary 
of the next book is I Don't Need a Man, I Need a Puppy. So Kaya and Lone Dog is about her befriending an animal who teaches her about love and letting go. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. I guess. We'll see. Thank you, Kaya. Thank you, Kaya. So, Allison, if people want to get in touch with you about, you know, questions about ibuprofen, questions about who knows what, who that celebrity baby is, where can they reach you? They may reach me at Allison Horrocks on Twitter and Instagram. And Mary, if people have other suggestions for future heroes for you, um, especially if they wear track suits, where should they find you? Wow, powerful suggestion. Please Thank find you. me at on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney or on Twitter at Mary Mahoney123. You can follow the show at A Girls Pod on Twitter. We also love when you follow us on Instagram, American Girls Podcast. And you may write to us at American Girls Pod at Gmail can find all the different ways to contact us on our website um, and we come right up when you search us that's right and we thanks again to everyone who has sent us mail um i'll make a public plea that i wrote a thank you note to stacy and allison and i don't have your address so if you could please dm me thank you i'm a big believer in thank you notes and thanks to everyone who supports the patreon we just did a watch along that was super fun we love doing that i love talking to people on the discord about all kinds of stuff we really do appreciate this community that we've created here thanks to everyone who's joined us so far and and welcome to people new to the show yeah thank you 